Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Media viewing trends are rapidly changing. Americans are watching more video content across more screens than ever before. Brands need to adapt to these changing habits to get their message heard. Multi-screen TV advertising can help, and it's more efficient and effective than ever. Advertisers can select their target audience in geographic areas and deliver their ads with minimal waste. Comcast Spotlight helps brands put their message in front of the right audience on any device. That's the power of TV. Get started today at ComcastSpotlight.com slash AdWeekMedia. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast. It's a bonus episode of the podcast, and I am really excited to have two of my favorite uh, very long-time web artists uh, who I've been following their work for a, for a long time and uh, really excited to get to talk to them. We've got Drew Toothpaste, uh, known for his Toothpaste for Dinner uh, comic strip, and Natalie D, known for both Natalie D uh, and the uh, cartoon Married to the Sea that she has been doing in partnership with her husband, Drew. It's so great to have you both on. Thanks. Thanks. It's awesome to talk to you, David. So what uh, motivated me to reach out, as I said, I've been following your work for a very long time now by internet standards, like by, you know, for 700 years. And uh, yeah. the the thing that uh, really fascinated me is that you had both kind of, you know, come on and off the scene in terms of uh, as being web artists. I really do think of both of you as pioneers in what we now think of as, as web comics, uh, which has become much more of an industry uh, than when you started. And we'll, we'll talk about that as well. And you also have a started a podcast, which we will talk about too. Uh, but first, uh, Drew, do you want to kind of just, uh, and you can both tag team on this, but give us a little background of how you both got started uh, with, uh, you know, who you are and then how you got started with uh, creating art on the web. Well, we're uh, both Ohio natives. And uh, we're in Columbus, Ohio now. And uh, in, in the early uh, 2000s, I like to call them the OOs, but I've been told that's not what the decade is called. <laughs> uh, we both started putting our work online. I uh, was building websites in the late 90s when it was sort of a space where you could put things and then nobody really looked at it except for like academics and people who were you know, maybe just starting to get on the computer when they're bored at work. Right, right. 
And yeah, so we, we, we both started doing our sites around that time. And then we slowly started accumulating an audience as people started getting online and started getting computers at work and, and all that kind of stuff. Cause that was, that was the game changer for us. <laughs> What, what, what was your motivation to start uh, to start posting art online? As far as my motivation for it, I thought that there was something interesting about publishing without having a, a middleman or having anyone telling you what to do, because that wasn't something that you could you could really do as readily prior to the internet. Have access to a large audience without having someone being like, "I'm going to publish your stuff," and have someone be like, "You need to do this." Like just having the total freedom to put on online whatever you want yeah i bet a lot of people take that for granted now you know it's like we the three of us probably grew up in an era where you had syndication and you had you know if you wanted to be a commercial like a a paid artist actually make money doing stuff there were really these very finite number of of paths for you to take but uh you two were both definitely early on drew drew what about you uh what you know what kind of motivated you and then what made it worth sticking with well there I've always, just like Natalie, I've always been drawing little humorous things, writing little short stories and so on. And putting it on the web was natural because, uh, you know, I had access to it early on. Uh, I would always, when, when when the web was relatively new, we're talking late 90s, and you put something online that was just entertaining... There was a very low standard, so it's very easy (laughs) to throw stuff online. And, of course, the standard, like you mentioned, the standard has risen. And, like, comics have become an industry. Podcasting has become an industry. uh, Even writing with the rise of, like, Medium and Substack and all of these different platforms. That's also become an industry. But when we started there was such a low hurdle that you could experiment a lot more and you could put things online for more or less free and see what people reacted to. In the era before social media, because what year did you both get started posting stuff? Um, I think my site started in 2004. Yeah. 2002. So we're, we're talking like I'm definitely- sorry, 2002. <laughs> obviously yeah, it, pre, pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter. Mm-hmm. How did you get your, how'd you get your comics out there? We just put them out. We had our sites and we had people who would visit, people who would visit our blogs. Then, because we were, we were pre-MySpace and then MySpace came around and people started sharing our comics on their MySpaces and sending them to their friends and things like that. And that was really one of the main main ways we were able to accumulate like a lot more audience a lot faster is once people started doing social media because they just share our stuff everywhere. Yeah, and... The format we work in, which, I mean, we mostly make single-panel comics, so that really lent itself to being a single item that was easy to share. Like, if you were to post a short story on Facebook, it would show the first 100 words and say, see more, right? (laughs) And so having everything you're making in one little graphic, just bite-sized pieces of, you know, jokes and content, it it was something that lent itself to being shared easily. And this was before people had really optimized the ability to share things, right? And so I I know when we first got started, like you said, there was no social media. And so you would put something online, but then if somebody stumbled across your site, because back in those days there were sites like StumbleUpon, there were... Uh, 
a whole bunch of websites that said random weird site of the day. And our stuff would always pop up on there because there weren't that many people making websites. If you ran a random a random website website for two years, you'd have to run our sites. There were like not that many of them to go around. <laughs> right. So we, I, I don't want to say we forced, we forced everybody's hand, but it was just, there was not, there was so little content that when we started publishing stuff, it, it really kind of took on a life of its own. Do, do you remember uh, the first time you both made money uh, off your art online? I do because I was still I was still working. Obviously, um, I remember selling enough shirts to to buy a carton of cigarettes one day, and I was like, "Oh, now it's on!" <laughs> <laughs> like I'm buying cartons of cigarettes now. <laughs> yeah, I I think I I think I had a similar experience. I was putting drawings online, and then uh, just on a lark, I I was you know, walking around a strip mall or something. I got some paint at the, at the art store. I made some paintings and, uh, at the time, uh, uh, digital cameras had not really evolved. So you would, you would get a floppy disc and you would put it in this special kind of camera and it would take this super low res photograph. But, uh, I had, I had borrowed one of those and I took some photos of, paintings I had made and I put one up for like $40 and somebody bought it within the day. Oh, wow. And I basically said, well, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like merchandise has, uh, as Natalie mentioned, has been a big part of what you do with, both with Married to the Sea and, and definitely I remember, I, I think honestly, that's how I first found out about Natalie. Uh, was was it the anxiety girl shirt or there was some, oh probably yeah yeah and um and then of course the married to the sea shirts are are fantastic uh, I I own the uh, Shakespeare got to get paid son uh, shirt which is one of my favorites um, but tell us a little bit about that about you know when did you was that a big you know kind of going into it strategically did you realize uh, oh t-shirts and merch is going to be a big part of what we do or was that something that just kind of slowly evolved with the comics. Well, I had um, experience prior to having a website uh, doing graphic design. And one of my first jobs I had, and I was actually still in high school, was with a graphic design company designing T-shirts. And so that was always something that I've done anyway. And so for me, it was like a natural thing to be like, well, now I get to make shirts, only I get to pick what's on them. And, And so it was like a fun project for me. And then... As far as things you can sell on a site, T-shirts are – they move more than other kinds of items do. People want shirts. And so – Well, and I think it, it ties in with our philosophy about, you know, commerce and art, you know, and how those intersect. The idea of, okay, we're going to put our stuff online because this is an easy way to get our work to people who haven't seen it. And it's easy to say, oh, well, T-shirt, well, you know, a blank shirt costs $10. You can sell it for $20. You know, you've got your profit margin. It's very easy to look at it from a number standpoint. But from an artistic standpoint, the idea of you putting your work literally on another person and having them gladly walk around and share the idea with people. And then if somebody wears it and it's funny then they're improving their lives because there are people that see it and get a kick out of it. And, you know, it encourages social interactions. And it's like just 
a total like win-win thing, right? Well, and I wanted to talk about Married to the Sea specifically because you both create that uh, that comic together. It's got a very specific style of these kind of uh, vintage illustrations mixed with modern expressions, which makes me feel like someone's you know granddad trying to explain. You know, <laughs> they they contrast the modern phrasing, but but, <laughs> but I I really do feel like you both were kind of way out in front of meme culture. You know, this is something we see all the time now. Someone finds an old painting, an old picture, and they always put it with some, you know, kind of modern or hip-hop era expression. That was something you guys, do you, do you feel that way too? It just feels like you were way ahead of the curve on that trend. Well, there wasn't that stuff back when we started. So I'm not, maybe other people were doing it at the same time that we were, and it we just didn't see it, but it predates it so i mean i think it's safe to assume (laughs) well one of the things that i did as a child i went for a few years i went to catholic school and they would give us these little newsprint what you would call now zines although if they're distributed by a worldwide organization to to teach religion to children i don't know if zine is the right word but they were these really crummy little newsprint magazines and I would always scratch out the captions and I would write new captions on them. And I was like six, seven years old. And I would draw, you know, sunglasses on Noah, stuffing the animals into the ark and stuff. And so just, you know, happening upon these vintage illustrations. And I, I know how we did it. We were at the main library one day nosing around the reference section, found this book full of these great illustrations, this this book that was over a hundred years old. So we, I don't think we could even check it out, but uh, we took photos or we scanned a bunch of it and we had done just a little bit of this humorous stuff and said, Hey, let's put it online. But for me, it was like just second nature to take something that exists and recontextualize it. Right. Right. So did this become a full-time job for either both of you? I haven't had a job since 2004, except for what I do on my own. Yeah, I I quit. I used to be a uh, research chemist, and I left that position in 2003. Uh, at, I mean, at the time, there was like a little teeny tiny recession. It's like barely even visible on economic charts. But I was having I was having trouble getting a job. I was working at a temp job. And then I sat down and I said, well, I made $8,000 at my job this year, and I made $8,000 selling T-shirts so maybe if I do T-shirts full time, then I can, right? I can make a living doing that, and then I'm sure that'll peter out at some point. Right, right. But it never did. Yeah. So yeah. So both of us have been full time doing this stuff for a while now. <laughs> Television is changing. Viewers have more access to content, and advertisers have more access insights from data. Comcast Spotlight knows how to use this data to help advertisers reach their ideal customers. With Spotlight, advertisers can select audiences based on geography and demographics. Then they can deliver their message to those precise target audiences at the local, regional, or national level. And comprehensive reporting gives advertisers confidence that their campaigns are working. See how multi-screen TV advertising can help your business. Get started today at ComcastSpotlight.com slash AdWeekMedia. How would you describe the way that the, you know, the web comics industry, well, it feels weird to even say industry thinking about when you started, uh, but the, it, it is to me, it's a classic 
uh, example of so many of these things that become mainstream businesses, mainstream trends, but they start out of just passion and curiosity and creativity. And and you you were both there through the entire rise of this trend, and you see things like Randall Monroe with the XKCD, you know, becoming these cultural phenomenons, writing five or six books. You know, Drew, I know you you've also produced books. Uh, but what was that like watching this thing that was kind of you know, not to say a, a total lark, because obviously it, you know, it was a business for you pretty quickly, it sounds like. But what was that like watching that turn into an actual industry? Well, uh, I I mean, I don't know that it turned out to be an industry for very many people. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of, you have to kind of have a, a knack for running a business in order to be able to do it successfully. And so a lot of webcomics maybe don't necessarily have the background in running a business and keeping books and and making business decisions that are going to advance what they're doing, regardless of the quality of, of the content they're putting out. And so I think that it's always been just a small number of webcomics who are able to make it a full-time gig and be able to make money off of it. But then also, while we benefited from social media and the people sharing our content and, and this and that and and being able to get an audience that way. On the other hand, the rise in social media kind of destroyed the way that people surf the web. And so it makes it so now it's harder to, to do the same things that we've been doing. Because you have Facebook and Twitter and all these all these places and they try to block you from your own audience. And, and have you pay for ads <laughs> and this and that and have in order to get access to people who, who wanted to follow your stuff. And so it's a lot different and it's a lot harder now to, to get the same kind of results from the efforts you put into it. Right. And I think Natalie pointed something out that's that's really interesting, which is that the sort of centralization of the web and the fact that you know whether they're whether they're publicly owned or privately owned companies they are in effect private businesses that now control what can be seen on the web and uh so what you have is for example for us in the myspace days people would post our comics on myspace we would give them html code which is like this you know the primitive computer code that is like the little bracket tags. And we'd say, copy and paste this, and this will display this image on your MySpace. And MySpace didn't restrict us from doing that. And Facebook, up until a, num- up until a few years ago, did, did not uh, you know, meter how many people were able to see what is posted. And now what Facebook does is it very heavily restricts who sees what gets posted. And in order to overcome their super restrictive algorithm, you have to click boost post. And for people like us, I mean, like you said, we we made a living on it, but it's not insanely lucrative. Okay, we make like a very normal living. I think we make less than a lot of our friends. And this is working, you know, seven days a week. So there's... Uh, so, you know, there's some caveats to the idea of uh, just working for yourself and being in control of your own of your own destiny at this point. But for example, on Facebook, 
if I wanted to make sure that people who liked my page on Facebook actually saw what I posted, I would have to pay Facebook. Right. And even though I have like 100,000 people on my Facebook page, I would have to pay 50 bucks for every thousand people I wanted to see something that I put on there. And the other thing is that they put a lot of really strange restrictions where they won't show it to anybody if there's text in the image where, you know, if you're a cartoonist, like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> and so, and so like, like the centralization of the internet and people using these third parties to, to disseminate content is like awful. It's awful. So what has that done to your to your the business side of what you do and and also just to the I guess the morale side of just staying motivated to keep doing this stuff? And did you did you take some time off from creating your comics or have you ever had to stop and say we really need to kind of reevaluate how we're, you know, how we're building an audience, how we're interacting with it or have you just kind of pressed through it? Well, I think that we diversify the projects that we're working on. And so we always have a bunch of balls that we're keeping in the air. So if we're having issues with one particular project, then we can compensate with other things we're working on while we try to iron out the issues that we're having. And so it's we're like we've been doing this for like 15 years now. And so we're kind of good at, at being able to 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 do that and, and keep keep ourselves from getting into a crisis just because they change a lot, an algorithm on something. So. And then in retrospect, it's, it's really humorous now in 2019 to say, uh, I can't get people to visit my website because ask Jeeves isn't telling them what my website is when they ask. (laughs) I mean, technology comes and goes. I mean, sure. We've been stuck with this same, the same set of social media websites for a while, but uh, ultimately people like reading entertaining things. And if you're making something that's funny, that's enlightening, or that's interesting in any way, I think people will still follow you. People will still pay attention to what you're doing if they like the work you create. And that's what it ultimately comes down yeah, to. Yeah, right, right. I feel like in those early days of web comics uh, like yours, the, it was very freeform. Um, and again, maybe this is, w- maybe we get a little nostalgic about this stuff. But I feel like web comic now has a, conjures a certain mental image uh, of a format. Yeah, yeah, it it does, and it's it's really funny uh, for us. And now I will say that there are lots of artists that break out of this stasis. But the current format is that there are these very round-headed characters, <laughs> right? And it's four panels in four a square <laughs> because they've optimized it to post on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. That is the format, and this has been optimized. And whether people start to do that themselves because it's cargo cult or whether they're aware that it's optimized for this certain social media platform, I can't say. But yeah, things have definitely standardized art-wise as well to, I think, like you said, the detriment of the medium. Well, do you feel like if you were starting now uh, versus, you know, in this very early days of the web, I guess, would you start, <laughs> you know, seeing... seeing it's too, it, it, is too, it is too hard now. I, if, if I had to start today, I, I would find something else to do. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's, you know, right now... 
as far as doing wet, as far as doing single panel web comics that are just funny, if you were to start like from a business angle, I think it's inadvisable. If you're doing it because it's something you want to do that's fun, then sure, by by all means. And then you know, if something pops off, if you're successful doing one thing or another, and you can keep it fresh, and you're not just, uh, you know, uh, doing the same thing over and over to try to chase diminishing returns, then I I think you can do it. But you know, like it's 2019, uh, and we still do web comics. We still publish web comics. Uh, but we started a podcast earlier this year. Now, Natalie and I had have done, you know, audio projects and have have guested on podcasts and done that in the past. But we decided this year to start a new one because it's a medium that people really enjoy, and I think. It's because when you look at comics or when you read writing, you have a very abstracted view of the person who's making it. But listening to real people talk, I think, gives you a more sympathetic view of the person who's creating it. And I've really enjoyed the interactions we've had with people who are listening to our podcast. Right, right. And what is your podcast called? Uh, it's called Garbage Brain University. So it is garbagebrainuniversity.com. Uh, and and it's great. And and one thing I wondered listening to it is if it's weird to to be communicating directly with the audience versus through this kind of, uh, you know, through a medium of your art. Uh, because both of you have styles that are very, like it puts a lot of you in it, but it also, I think the readers can inject themselves in it. Is is it strange right. to suddenly be having that that dialogue literally with the person listening? Well, to me, that was a valuable, like that was a valuable part of the project where I feel like I have been making comics and, and all that for a while and while I put a lot of my own experiences into the comics I made, it was on purpose, like by design, it wasn't like a comic about me. And so I always tried to keep it as being something separate and having like, not being like a public figure, like being a f- public figure was never like particularly attractive to me. And it's just the the quality of interactions you get with people when they don't know anything about you except for what they extrapolate from something that you made is like really weird and alienating. And so doing a podcast to me is a lot more fun because I feel like the people who are communicating with us about what we're putting out, they are basing it on things that I've said, like things I've talked talked about. And, and it seems to be higher quality interactions with, with listeners than, than I was having previously. Well, I, I think that also somebody who is willing to sit and listen to you for an hour is probably more simpatico with your personality and would be somebody where if they like listening to you talk for an hour, this is somebody where they're interested in you and there's somebody who, you know, if, if they're interested in what you're actually saying in your own personality and your own ideas in admittedly a really intimate way, then you're, it feels a lot more like you're talking to your friends 
it feels like you're telling your friends something cool you read, you're telling your friends some facts you know, or you're telling your friends a story about a place you used to work or something like that. And it's it's fun in a different way rather than, you know, trying to entertain somebody through something abstract and creating characters that are not, you know, necessarily personal views of your own. Right. And also Drew and I are both prolific in the stuff that we put out. Like I know I did more than 4,000 Natalie D comics and I'm sure there's even more than that of Married to the Sea comics. He probably has like 6,000 toothpaste for dinner comics. And so with the schedule we have working and posting, it was it wasn't as instantaneous as with podcasts because we I would work in batches and work like a month or two ahead of time. And so I would be getting interactions from people about a, a thing I, I made and I honestly wouldn't even remember it because I've made like 40 or 50 comics since then, even though it was something that posted two days ago. And so – I think that also makes it a little bit more fun. Yeah. Do, do you ever get, not to say dissuaded, but, you know, when you think about your future and how much your your careers have changed and evolved and gone up and down kind of with the internet, and the internet's such a wild kind of, you know, bull to try riding over a long period of time. <laughs> that, I mean, do you, when you think about what what is your career and where are you going to go between now and and you, you, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a hard question to ask, but I'm just curious if you guys have evolved so much. Do you ever feel like, you know, when are we going to find that thing that this is what we, this is what we stick with, this is what we ride into retirement? Or do you enjoy the fact that all this stuff changes so dramatically? I, I thought you're making us think about our future. I thought you said this was going to be a fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, we, we make enough money now that it's like not, a stress on us and we are always evolving and changing what we're doing and think I, I'm not too concerned about it. And I also do stuff on the side, like I do graphic design and, and this and that. And so we we're we're always so diversified. I mean, I just assume we're just going to keep doing this until we retire, but we are also really conservative with our money and, and things like that. And so because, because there is so much uncertainty. So I mean, I understand. I mean, thinking about things, it's obviously something to think about, but I don't know what else we would do at this point. <laughs> right. And I don't think that we're going to, we're going to do something and suddenly be like top of the world and making millions of dollars. But that's like, I don't think that's the goal. That's not the kind of stuff that we're making. Just like being able to live like a regular middle class existence and do whatever we want without anyone telling us what to do is fine with me. Yeah. And, and, there's always, you know, the the question friends ask each other is, what would you do if you had a million bucks? And I mean, my answer is always like this, but like with a, a better looking bathroom that has like cool tile in it. <laughs> right? So right, it's like, right. I mean, personally, my my goal is to be able to make art. And so the way we keep making art that engages us that we're interested in and that entertains us and especially i mean my my most important audience is natalie like i want i want to entertain her and if 
you know, if I can make stuff where where she likes it, she thinks it's funny, especially if we're working together, then that's a that's a great barometer for me. But but personally, like Natalie said, you know, we have managed to to build up what we're doing to have a pretty normal, at least for for Central Ohio, uh, a pretty normal standard of living. But that's because you know, we do comics. We're still publishing comics every day. I have a blog that I write every day. We have uh, some other graphics projects we do. We both take on freelance projects, whether it's graphic design. You know, I do freelance writing, freelance graphic design. Uh, you know, I have some other projects and involve doing code. Uh, and on top of that, uh, you know, we've started a new podcast, so it's just a matter of keeping these plates spinning. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the the reward of being able to do art is also, like, inherent in the process of making art and then leveraging it in such a way as people give us some money when we do it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's not... Um, so it's sort of a weird... It, it's sort of a weird relationship. And like I was saying you know, commerce and commerce and art are both involved. And that's always like a very oil and water interaction a lot of the time. Well, before we close out, I have to tell you my favorite cartoon, not to play favorites, because I love both your strips. I love Married to the Sea. But there is one that uh, I think in my household is referenced more than any other. And uh, your website tells me it was posted on May 29th, 2006. Are you? Are you? Oh, classic. Are you, <laughs> yes, we we're a refined. We really appreciate the uh, the old. But uh, it is uh, a picture of a classic droop picture of a wobbly headed dude at his keyboard and mouse, and it says, "Your search is it okay to only eat hummus?" Returned one result. <laughs> no. <laughs> That that is a almost a weekly reference because I think my wife and I both will only eat hummus as an entire meal, and then we're like, I looked it up online, and pretty sure it said yes. And we're like, no. and my kids, my kids are like, it says no, it says no. There's worse, there's worse things you can eat exclusively than hummus. At least that's made out of like something that grows from the ground. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought you'd appreciate knowing that uh, your legacy right there. Jeez, how many? Yeah, wow, it's been 13 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, Drew from Toothpaste for Dinner, Natalie D from Natalie D and the comic they draw together, Married to the Sea, and also their joint podcast, Garbage Brain University, which you can find at garbagebrainuniversity.com. Thank you both so much for making time for us. I, I had a blast. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having us. Hey, that was fun. Thanks again, David. All right. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we'll be back with a regular, regularly scheduled episode uh, pretty soon here. Thanks so much. Hey there. Are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, 
and get 10% off your plan.